There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to the family with co-host Catherine Brandt, Tevin Pittman, Alex Brandt Bernard Rasmussen, and Andy Brandt Bernard. We'll be right back. Kick things off with the family. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant. What's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who've been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Dougie, what's new at my favorite Nissan stores? Well, now that everybody's back from vacation, we can finally get to work. Yeah, easy there, gunpowder. Hey, at least you only took a week. Jayla was gone darn near a whole month. Poor Dan Rush. Anyway, we got some great things happening at Coon Rapids Nissan and Walzer Nissan in Burnsville. Read this, and you can add that cool DJ voice if you want to. It's 2020 closeout month at Burnsville and Coon Rapids Nissan. Giant discounts in 0% for 60 months on all remaining 2020s. You also get Walzer Care, a 10-year, 150,000-mile powertrain warranty for free. Ah, music to my ears. I love the sound of a good DJ in the morning. But wait, there's more. For the first time ever, you can get 0% for 60 months on the all-new 2021 Rogue. The 2021 Rogue is bigger, better, and faster than ever before. For more information on 0% interest on all these great vehicles, check out Coon Rapids Nissan and Walzer Nissan in Burnsville and tell them Tommy sent you. I'll just cut out the last bit. Well, we got the dirge going to kick off the show. Now we're talking. Well, it's kind of a dirgy day. Why is it a dirgy day? It's the anniversary of my mom dying a year ago. You should raise that a little bit. Oh, my God. It, it's, it seems down. like 
four years ago. I it know, seems it like does. that was. I feel like she hasn't been gone for that long, but I feel like she's been it feels, dead yeah, for like a really long time because it was like at the beginning of the whole pandemic and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's just been like that was one year. <laughs> it was. Why? It was the weirdest timing. How somebody oh God, could. It was horrible. You know, I mean, like right in the beginning of the t- pandemic, and we couldn't visit Madness. her. And then Grandpa no, was stuck in his room by himself for three months. He geez. could not leave after his wife no. died. Yeah, I was like, was this is really, really, horrible. oh, God, it was horrible. We couldn't have a funeral. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. I'd like to point out, by the way, that Catherine's mother died on March 22nd, and my mother died on March 23rd. Yep. How weird is that? Oh, really? They're a day apart? I knew wow. it was, like, right around the same time. Well, and your mom died on Easter when it was... Yep, she died Easter Sunday, yep. Yep. Your mom probably came to my mom in a dream and said, Come on, it's not so bad. <laughs> yeah. It's a good time to go. <laughs> Jump on in. The, water, yeah. the water's warm. <laughs> exactly. That is weird, though. Your mother died the 22nd. My mother died the 23rd. Of course, it was, you know, How many years 12 years apart. Yeah. Yeah. 12 years? Yeah, I was, in, died 13 I was a years freshman now. in college when she died. <clears throat> yep. Oh, that's right. Unbelievable that that's happened. So all the best to Betty and Toots in heaven. We know they're in heaven. You heard me. Yeah, they my mom still there. might be in purgatory. Yeah, she, could be. <laughs> she might have to be she's, working her way out. She's in purgatory. <laughs> That's real nice. Yeah. My mother's in purgatory. She was kind of sassy. Yeah, she was kind of sassy. She was. She had like she okay, had me and my mother, and we were all cut from the same cloth. She was just had yeah. many more years of sassiness. She was the originator. Oh, I don't know what this means, sure but Joe from Louisville says, happy belated birthday, T-Man. I'm oh, guessing that's he me. doesn't mean... Oh, that's me. Oh, right. when yeah, was, was your birthday? birthday? Happy birthday! Yesterday. Oh, my God. Tevin's, Tevin's birthday, yeah. my mom's death, Toots' <laughs> death. It's <laughs> a holiday I week. Wanna, I don't want to ruin the good death talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait a minute. Dumb birthday. <laughs> your stupid happy news. You're <laughs> missing a couple of very important people. <laughs> A couple of very important people in that. Also birthdays yesterday. Adrian Tony Peterson. Lee and Adrian uh, Peterson. That's exactly Tony right. Oh, on the same day? Yep. Oh, exciting. Yeah, How apparently there was turn? some deal. 29. Oh. So I'm, I'm old now. He's the same age as Melissa. Yeah, Melissa then. thinks that's old. I remember when she, 29. she was like, next year we'll have to do something big. 30s, like such a mm-hmm. big thing. And I'm like, no, it's not. I've no. been 35 since I was like 14. Yeah, people so. are like... <laughs> Seven. Yeah. What uh, you doing? Anything funny for your birthday? I was like, well, I'm working a 15-hour day, and then I'm going to bed. Yeah, like that's that's, that's what I'm doing for my birthday. You know, you're a grown-up when that's how you spend right. your birthday. Very it's exciting. Well, my you're, quarantine to, birthday, it's like that doesn't eh, that, Yeah, that what am was I gonna do? I don't know. Yeah, people were like, oh, we could, and I'm like, number one, it's February, can't do anything mm-hmm. outside. Number two. Just don't even try. Let's just yeah. skip it. It's fine. <laughs> you gonna do anything during the week? I was like, I think I'm gonna take Prince to like a patio and like drink by myself. It'll be great. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> Big celebration. Sure. I'm gonna get away from all of you. <laughs> well, that's kind of negative. Well, I, not, I not you guys, but just <laughs> not in general. you. Yeah. Everyone else. <laughs> yeah. What are you gonna do? So, yeah. in any case, a very very busy final uh, ten days in in March. Then of course you got some birthday uh, birthday closing the month out on the thirty first with Catherine's birthday. I'm not birthday. having any more birthdays. You're not no more no. birthdays. Hey mom, my favorite one of my favorite quotes: "Do not regret getting old. It is a privilege denied to many." 
I know. Yeah. I know. Now that my dad is 94, <laughs> my whole life, my right. whole life, he said, if you say, oh, wow, wow, I'm turning such and such, I'd get a solid. He'd be, it's better than the alternative. So now when he's, he just turned when he turned 94, I'm like, it's better than the alternative. Yeah, he goes, is it? Is it really? Complaining about being old now. I feel like once you get into your 90s, yeah, it's like, eh, well, mm-hmm. but before that, I mean, you're, you could still, you got it. You're mm. good. Yeah. You're fine. Um, Two things in the news very quickly. This uh, groping women thing apparently is never going to go away. This groping women thing. Can you elaborate? What? I got to be honest with you. and I'm I'm very serious about this. You groped one of our classmates when we were back in grade school, high school, whatever. Who? You would have gotten your ass handed. Oh, who's groping who now? <laughs> Wait a second. No, I'm just telling you, there's no way you would have gotten away with that in my neighborhood. Not a chance. So you're just talking about general men groping women in general? No, no. There's a couple new ones. Ah, okay. You know the Republican guy in New York that's going after Cuomo for groping women? No, I don't. Yeah. No. He was just accused of groping women. So yeah. that's now Why both they... the Republican, yeah, the Republican and the Democrat. Yeah, I believe when you live in a glass house, you're not supposed to throw yeah. stones. Yeah. <laughs> that's so it's bipartisan groping. At least they're coming together on sure. something. Bipartisan groping. Right. I don't understand. Like, what's the end game? Like, I don't Thank I don't you. Know. you groping women, and then what are they going to turn like, around and be like, hey, ooh, let's go get a, a drink? Yeah, like what? Yeah. Same thing with catcalling. I was, yeah. when I lived in New York, I'd get catcalled all the time because, like, every female ever and just mm-hmm. person gets catcalled in New York. And one time, this guy catcalled me, and I walked up to him, and I was like, let's, let's go on a date. Where do you want to go right now? Oh, What's up? And he was, like, he was like, what? And I was like, you obviously find me attractive. Let's see where this goes. And he was like, you're a crazy bitch. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I am. Yeah, I like, just walked well, right up to him and I was like, do? dead serious. And I'm like, maybe that will make him not catcall other yeah. people. Yeah, like there's nobody getting married that's like, you know, it all started with catcall. <laughs> he grabbed my ass yeah, on the street. He groped and me and I said, Honestly, this you'd probably be surprised. I don't understand. Yeah. I don't know. There's plenty of marriages that started with uh, we were in the same crack house and one thing led to another. Oh, that, well, is true. True. <laughs> that is true. Or jail. Yeah. Or jail. And, but just mm-hmm. the gro- like general groping and catcalling, I don't get why. Like, what's the plan? Mm-hmm. Is well, it just like I a, usually from it's... their point of view, if a woman did that to them, they would like it. So they figure women would like it. Yeah. I think most of the time it's because guys are around other guys and they're showing off for them. Yeah. Could also yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 That's kind of a group activity is being an asshole. Yeah. Okay, I've got, got a question for everybody. So how do you get there? Like, I would have never, ever done that because I would think of my mother. What would my mm-hmm. mother think if I was grabbing some woman's body parts? He would not have cared yeah. for that much. Well, like I said, they probably, act, they probably think that the women appreciate it. Because they would appreciate well, it if it happened. They want to them. feel attractive, or like, oh, Basically, I'm telling yeah. her that she's beautiful. Well, so and look she at how like many that. very uh, self-insecure women are out there who actually probably would think that. I suppose. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Takes all types. One of my favorite things was I was at a club once in college with Becky. She's British, and she had this like super intense hair piece thing in with like feathers and stuff and this guy just she was walking by a guy and he just touched her headpiece and he was like this is pretty and she hit him and well. said don't you ever touch me again i was like 
Mm. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> that's the last time we hung out with Becky. <laughs> I was like, but I kind of was like, that's amazing. Yeah. Because maybe, like, he, I don't know, you shouldn't touch somebody without them being like, hey, yeah. you could touch me. I don't know. There you go. Well, we got <laughs> like another guy added to the list. Guy. Oh, sorry. We got another name to add to the list, and this guy, I kind of figured, because this guy is a raging prick. I mean, way over the top. Did you ever watch Silicon Valley? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was a great show. Oh, you great have show. to watch that. It's hilarious. It's really good. It's so stupid. One of the stars of the show, Thomas <laughs> like, Middleditch. Kind of Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just saying it was, it's stupid in a good way. Yes. Silicon Valley. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, Thomas Middleditch at Center of Club's Misconduct Claims. Silicon Valley star accused of groping woman. Owners accused of ignoring the complaints. Add Silicon Valley star Thomas Middleditch. You know which guy that is. That's the guy. That's Peter Pied Piper or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know the guy. Yeah. Remember, he's the one who came out right after the show and he said, you have to understand something about my marriage. It's a pretty open marriage. We do whatever we want. Yeah, I think he's a little, uh, uh, apparently, yeah. little bit of a deviant, if I had to guess. Oh, Absolutely. He's nuts. Uh, Hannah Harding says she was at the Cloak and Dagger, a now-closed goth nightclub in Hollywood, where a cast of experimental artists performed eerie, sexually charged ceremonies each week, per the Los Angeles Times. Yeah. yeah. That sounds, hey, like, the thing. Thing. That sounds <laughs> like a place to go if you want to get grown. Exactly. Like, I'm going to go to the Cloak and Dagger for eerie, sexual <laughs> no, seances. What, is, like, what does that mean? I don't know. Anyway, eerie, sexual... <laughs> Hollywood... <laughs> Is a foot. Yeah, uh, what? Feel, yeah, I feel like that's just a nice way of saying that he's a creep. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Sounds like the Grammys. Eerie yeah. sexual seance. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of intrigued. I, like, I want to know what that means. It, it, it didn't say seance, it just said eerie sexually charged ceremony. Uh, ceremony. Oh, oh, ceremony. ceremony. Oh, and sexually charged. Okay. Yes. Yes, exactly. So apparently uh, what happened was uh, Hollywood Reporter now notes uh, notes now stars in the new CBS comedy Be Positive made obscene gestures toward her and a girlfriend. Then he groped her. Harding says several others, including friends, workers, and Kate Morgan, the club's operations manager, witnessed Middleditch's behavior. She adds she saw Middleditch grope another woman after he groped her. Morgan, meanwhile, says she approached club for co-founders Adam Braven and Michael Patterson, asked them to boot Middleditch and ban him. They just ignored her. Oh, God. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. He probably probably ignores celebrity being gross. Yeah, he probably brings in a lot of money or something. Well, he's a celebrity. Celebrities can do pretty much whatever they want. That's so... Yeah, and, and you can add, I guess, Deshaun Watson to that list, too, for the Texans, who's got all the sexual, I don't know, I guess assault charges now against him for the uh, mm-hmm. massage parlors going on. What? Yeah. Oh, God. Mm. Oh, did you like, did 12? Them? I think it's 12 mm-hmm. people have come forward and filed lawsuits. Yikes. Jeez. Oh. Did bad. you hear what he did? No. What nope. did he do? He forced... For some of them to give him oral sex. Yeah, that's massage parlor ladies. Yeah, yep. but not that kind of massage. The regular massage. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh. Not and which was one. shocking because he seems like the most like the nicest guy. Oh, really? Like his public image was I hate impeccable that. before that. Uh, I hate that when you're like, he seems really like a great yeah. person, or like she seems so sweet, and then you're like, oh, they... happens all the time. Yeah. yeah. Can I just say if somebody tried to <clears throat> for okay, so the guys. In this situation, he's laying there on this bed. He's trying. He's trying to force you to do that. 
can't you just punch him in the nuts? Or swalk out. That'd be a good idea. I mean, he's Please. pretty... I do wonder. He's in a vulnerable spot, right? I mm. mean... I guess yep. maybe you're so terrified yeah. you freeze. Yeah, I don't when know. He's, he's probably Laying a big naked, guy. No, he's not a big he's guy. He's not at a big all. guy. Like, okay. He's, yeah, he's a quarterback. Very. Oh, he's a quarterback. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, okay. And yeah, laying naked with a towel over you is probably not the time where you should be forced. <laughs> yeah, anyone you're, to you're do anything. Yeah, you are vulnerable there. Yeah, I don't know. I Unbelievable. Just, again, probably uses his you know power to like mm-hmm. oh tell everyone that you yeah whatever I don't know like threatened them. Yeah, to, it could be. All right, we got to take a break because we got a special guest coming up, Richard Estep. Serial killers, the minds, methods, and mayhem of history's most notorious murderers. Richard joins us next with the family. Tom Bernard here with my buddy and CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael. Always great to be with you, Tommy. Michael, we've talked before about the XCheck app at North American Banking Company where you can send money to your friends and family directly from your account to theirs for free. I imagine people are using that a lot these days, huh? Beyond paying a friend back for the dinner you split or paying fantasy football or golf side action, we've heard from our customers that they're using XCheck to send money to their grown-up kids for a family takeout meal or using it to pay the person that plows their driveway in the winter. Our customers love the flexibility of paying right from their account in just a couple of taps on their phone wherever they are located. I use XCheck, and it's just as easy as Michael says. Send money in one business day or less, and it's completely free. Get XCheck by contacting any of North American Banking Company's five Twin Cities locations. So why not bank with my banker? That's you, Mike. Tommy, thanks for the privilege. North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. As you know, my friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike created the new Giza Dream Sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me which is crucial for my busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's Giza sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream Sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. Mike is making a special offer for my listeners. You buy one set, get another set absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener Square, and use promo code TOM, T-O-M. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Call 1-800-516-5146, use promo code TOM, or go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use the promo code TOM. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. A bit of news, a little information. You know like what I'm saying. Guest. A guest is ready to go. Richard Estep, ladies and gentlemen, uh, ladies and gentlemen, serial killers, the minds, methods, and mayhem of history's most notorious murderers. It is available on Amazon, which means it's available everywhere. Pain, torment, and torture, cru- cruelty, uh, brutality, and violence. The twisted psyche's murder, and yes, even the ability to charm people, take a deep dive into the terrifying real serial murder, spree killers, and true faces of evil. Richard, how are you? I'm doing well this morning. Hello from snowy Colorado. Snowy Colorado. Yes, it is snowy. Fact. That's a brilliant statement from my son there, Richard. Yes, I understand it's snowy. Uh, well, I have Richard, an uncle who lives there, so, you know. Yeah, you do. You got the report. Right. 
He got the report. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Richard is with us. Uh, you know, it's, it, I have a question, Richard, and this is a little bit off topic, but I'm just, it just struck me just now. During this COVID situation for the past year, have there been more serial killings, fewer serial killings? I mean, is it, is it, has there been any noticeable move in the frequency of this? That's a great question, but we don't have any data to really just figure that out yet. Um, there have definitely been, unfortunately, increases in certain crimes, for example, right. um, domestic violence and, and crimes of that nature, as you would expect when people are, are cooped up with one another. But serial killings, I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, we don't have the mobility of people, do we? And serial killers, um, they like to Ooh. generally get out and about. They like to meet their victims. Um, in in social environments a lot of the time. And that opportunity hasn't been there. So if I had to guess, and that's all I could do at this point, I would suggest they're less active, not more. Yeah, because people aren't getting around and about. I, I, that makes sense. That makes complete sense, as a matter of fact. How, I've often wondered with serial killers, is there an initial indication of any kind? Is there anything somebody could pick up on, like, this guy is going to become a serial killer if we don't watch out. Is there any way it's, or does it start all over the map and they all just end up serial killers? How does it work? You know, there are some commonalities, things to look for. And a surprising one, the more that I researched, is that quite a few of them tend to have sustained head injuries when they were younger. Um, male and female killers. Uh, they fell, they hit their head, they were in a car crash, a motorcycle crash, or in one case, um, a train crash. <laughs> and sustained some serious head trauma, and their behavior began to change afterwards. But the vast majority of these killers are men, and a lot of them were mama's boys. You know, the the Norman Bates kind of archetype there um, exists for a reason. A lot of them were pampered by their mom. You know, they were treated like the golden child. If they had brothers and sisters, they were the favored one. We see that quite a bit. Uh, Richard, I think I'm in big trouble because I was a mama's boy, and when I was 11, 12 years old, I was in a street fight and got hit in the head with a bat that cracked my skull. I might have some problems coming, Richard. That doesn't yeah, sound the good FBI for me. will be reaching out to you later on. Great. <laughs> right. Well, thank you. I imagine that that is probably, yeah, I, I suppose, uh, some some form of head trauma. Do, is there any specific thing that it does? It just is kind of rewire the brain in some way, the injury? Well, you know, it's not unusual for people that sustain significant head injuries to have behavioral changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. often those changes do involve uh, heightened senses of anger and volatility. Um, so I suspect that there's some neurologic link there. As to what it specifically is, I think remains to be proven. And it's by no means all of them. You have to look at the hundreds of thousands of people that sustain head injuries each year that don't become mm-hmm. serial killers. Right. So it's more complex. No, it's very interesting. I, I'm, I'm sorry to make this about me, and I, I swear to God, this is the last thing I'll bring up. But it's kind of interesting what you said. They, they you know, because I did sustain that head trauma when I was very young, eleven or twelve years old. Uh, was definitely a mama's boy. But the other thing it did to me is I lost some fear. Is that part? Of, I don't have anywhere near as much fear of things as other people do. Would that have been part of it too? Is they, they're just not afraid to do anything or get involved in anything? Is that part? I think of it? it's. It's entirely possible, absolutely. I mean, fear is an emotion. Uh, And some people just don't feel it as others do. Some people are able to control it and dial it down or even control it and harness it because fear can Mm -hmm. be a powerful motivator. So it's a great servant and a terrible master. 
Well, this ought to be great, Richard. I just found out uh, from you today I'm on the verge. I'm re- Thank God I've, I'm 69 years old because I'm past the age probably to qualify. That's good news. Can't get any worse. That's great. I'm sure that we're going to discreetly check your browser history as we're talking here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Richard. There are very few 70-year-old serial killers, so there is that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, we actually have a question from the audience. Uh, someone wants to know, well, Eric wants to know, how often killers go back to the scene of the crime? Hi, Eric. That's a great question. Um, and it happens with a lot of criminals, actually. When I was a firefighter, uh, for 15 years on fires, you would often um, hear that arsonists would return to the scene of the crime to watch firefighters putting it out. Mm. So um, sometimes serial killers will revisit the scene of the murder or revisit the scene where the bodies were, were left or dumped. And then you had others that would actually just keep things from the scene of the crime, including parts of the victim. They would take them home with them and, and keep them in a a trophy cabinet, yeah. for want of a better term, or keep photographs of the scene themselves. That just doesn't seem like a very good counter-forensic measure. No, absolutely, and and the truth is that serial killers are often very, very smart right up until the point where they're not. That's um, true. You know, I mean, a great example of that that I wrote about was the BTK killer, Dennis Rader, who um, had gotten away with killing people for many, many years in the most awful ways, and, you know, he was a top man in his church, seemed like the perfect father, liked to taunt the police, though that was his Achilles heel. And he actually asked the police in a newspaper advertisement, if I send you guys a floppy disk, will you be able to track it? Oh, today? that's right. And the police said, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, if it weren't such a serious subject, it would be comedy gold, mm-hmm. right? But he, he, he has desired get gratification by taunting the cops led him to do something monumentally stupid. If he had not said in that floppy disk, he would probably not have been captured. God, and that is so amazing that he would do something like that. I know. Uh, but people are, seem to be getting dumber by the day. There's something that, that, that I find uh, fascinating. I'm, ta- I'm looking at the descriptor of your book. This chilling uh, book looks at the horrifying stories of 40 malevolent killers and hundreds of innocent victims, including... Such notorious homicidal maniacs as John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy. By the way, it was just released, I believe, last night that John Wayne Gacy apparently killed a lot more people they even knew about. They just released that story last night. Did you see that, Richard? You know, I did not see that yet. Um, I'm looking forward to looking into that. I did study Gacy in depth, um, and I wrote a second book specifically about John Wayne Gacy. He he Mm -hmm. went to his grave insisting that he wasn't guilty at all, that his employees had access to the crawl space under his house. You know, the, the guy was an incredible, awful character. Should have known that when he put on his first clown suit. That's all I got to say. Uh, well, he, he got Ted he Bundy. The police, the clowns can literally get away with murder. Gacy was so arrogant. <laughs> the cops would tail him across town, across Chicago. He would send them drinks and dinners at the bars he was drinking at. He would go drink with them. You know, and he would say things like that. He would look them in the eye and say, "Yeah, clowns can get away with murder." And he knew that they knew, and he got off on that. Um, and, and and so he built this elaborate fantasy in his head, and to his dying day, you know, he would not admit that he was responsible for all those deaths. Did he? Was he not admitting it to himself, Richard? Is that part of it? I think I mean, that he, he constructed... He did yeah. yeah, I think he constructed this elaborate fantasy in his head, 
Uh, in order mm-hmm. to, to tell a truly compelling lie, I think you have to kind of believe it yourself. You know, um, every good lie contains a kernel of the truth. And if you can't put truth in there, you have to teach yourself, I think, to believe the lie and then live it, which he did. Richard, this seems to be a, a very, just a, a human thing because obviously we're talking about Americans here, John Wayne Gacy and Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer. But uh, we see cases in Japan, in Russia, in uh, um, Scotland, many, many, uh, London, Jack the Ripper, of course. It, it, is it across the map? Is it just a part of the human condition? You're absolutely right. It is across the map. It is across the globe. Um, and I've written about a few of those um, international killers in my book because I didn't want to focus exclusively on the U.S. and, and the U.K. Mm-hmm. Um, but it tends to be more common in the Western industrialized societies. I do think it's a part of the human condition. It's The, the big debate is, are these people simply born evil? Are they wired wrong? Uh, is it nature or nurture? You know, does something happen to them behaviorally at a formative age that makes them this way? Or are they simply born that way? And this is a time-old debate, isn't it? It's, it's like asking, was Hitler always going to be Hitler? You know, was, was Gacy always going to be Gacy? Or did something in their upbringing predispose them to this? You know, there was a uh, very quick... This is not really a serial killer, but it is a very traumatic event happened when I was a junior... Excuse me, a sophomore in high school... A couple of the guys that I went to high school with, uh, apparently uh, a busway, a, a female bus driver was sitting at the at the busway just taking her break. And a few of my high school mates, they were not my friends, but they were high school mates, went on the bus and raped her and killed her. And I remember the one guy I knew the best, and there's no reason to bring up his name, but they asked him, what, would, what were you guys thinking? And he said, this is a 16-year-old kid, by the way. Yeah. He said to the cops, hey, at least she was still alive when I did her. Uh, and I, I, that haunts me well. to this day, Richard. To this day, because I knew that guy. It's like, whoa, I did not see anything like that coming from him, Richard. Do we, do they, are they able to cover that up really well, like put a different face on when they're out in public? Well, here's, here's my question to you, and I apologize, because there's an old saying, it's rude to answer a question with a question. But this, no, no, this not sounds at all. Like this sounds like packed behavior, doesn't it? And, and the big question yes, I have is, yep. would they have done this alone? Would any one of them done this singly? Or was this a case yeah. of, of these boys, you know, by no means making excuses for them? It's, it's horrific. Uh, and I hope they were punished to the full extent of the law. But would each and every one of them have done this alone? Or was there this mob mentality at work there? There have been, I don't know about groups, but there have been pairs of serial killers, right? That Henry Lee Lucas, didn't he have a partner? You know, very rarely, actually. There are, there are some in which right. there's a serial killer and an accomplice or an apprentice, usually someone that the killer is able to bring into their orbit. Um, a good example of that would be the West in the UK from the Cromwell Street House of Horrors. For the oh, longest sure. time, it was believed that Fred West was the dominant partner there. But the more um, the police looked into it, it seemed like his wife was the was the dominant one that Ooh. essentially um, made him do all of the heavy lifting, if you will. So you do see serial killers have a, an accomplice, an apprentice, or a weaker partner that they can um, manipulate or threaten or coerce uh, into doing what they want. The Moore's murderers were the same. 
Is there an intelligence level to some of these people, or are they just some of them stupid, some of them are quite bright? Is there any commonality in their brain makeup? They're actually all over the map, and uh, a lot of the time, they'll, if their brains are examined post-death, there's nothing particularly unusual about them. Really? Um, some are extremely clever, but if they were truly clever, they wouldn't be caught. And I've always you know, suspected that the truly intelligent serial killers are still out there, because nobody, you know, they, they, were, they didn't get sloppy, they didn't get complacent. They were able to either kill only often enough, um, move from area to area, you know, not get too greedy, not get too obvious, because they always seem to make a mistake. People talk about Jack the Ripper, and you mentioned him earlier, you know, serial killers generally stop killing for one reason, and that is that they were either imprisoned, caught, killed, one of those things, or they moved to a new locale. But the truly intelligent ones don't get on any radar. They'll, they'll kill just often enough in certain areas and then move on or change their pattern a little bit, change their area to try and fly under the radar. And you look at men like Samuel Little, um, who, who died recently, and, you know, they were able to kill over decades, always choosing poor victims that were on the fringes of society. So they would choose those that are homeless um, or addicted or you know, are vulnerable in some way, and primarily people that won't be missed. That is so sad. Richard, uh, could we have you for another segment? Do you have time to do another segment? Absolutely. We'll take a very quick two-minute break. Be right back. Richard S. Ebbett, E-S-T-E-P. The book is called Serial Killers, The Minds, Methods, and Mayhem of History's Most Notorious Murders, available on Amazon and everywhere. Right back with Richard and the family. Dan Chesky is here from Dan's Southside Marine to talk boats in February. 2021 is all about boat inventory or the lack thereof. Dan's has what you're looking for in the color and model you want. So get in and take advantage of the factory incentives and discounts February offers. Why should our listeners shop for a fishing boat at Dan's Southside Marine? We have the latest models on display, like the new Revolution. It features rotational seating from Premier Marine and the new Lumacraft FSX crossover fish and ski. Both are getting tons of attention and grabbing sales from the competition. Dan Southside Marine is packed with pontoons from Avalon, Berkshire, and Premier with all the rebates and incentives we mentioned at the top. Get the family out this weekend and come see these amazing pontoons. And be sure to ask about custom-rigged Alumacraft fishing boats this weekend at Dan Southside Marine during our February open house. Dan Southside Marine, six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington. Shop online at dansouthsidemarine.com. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home, list it on the MLS, and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com. That's Shift, the number two, Sell.com. Because life is expensive enough.
We are back, ladies and gentlemen. The book, Serial Killers, the Minds, Methods, and Mayhem of History's Most Notorious Murderers. Richard Estep with us, E-S-T-E-P. Book's available on Amazon. A uh, question I have for you, Richard, to start this uh, segment. Um, in the descriptor, it talks about pain, torment, and torture, cruelty, brutality, and violence. Yet when you see a serial killer on, on television, they just stalk people, and then the second they have the chance they kill them so once in a while that you know the tv serial killers take somebody hostage but these guys are not about taking people you know like giving people any time do they love the torment and torture part of it is that part of the big deal for them most of it depends on the individual's motivation i mean some of them um have been known to to capture people and keep them hostage for for weeks if not months um uh, turning them into playthings. but quite often it's having killed somebody that they enjoy. Not necessarily the process of killing itself. Some of them are all about having killed and gotten away with it. You know? Some of them do enjoy mm-hmm. the act of killing, and then they dislike the disposal um, uh, portion of things, and they see that as a nuisance. Uh, and those are the ones that tend to be quite sloppy as they go about it and, and are more easily caught. So it all depends on what their motivation is. Some are compelled to do it. Some choose to do it. Uh, some simply cannot help themselves. And what does compel them to do it? It's a great question, isn't it? Um, I think yeah. that in many cases, you're looking at people who feel disconnected from their fellow humans. They, uh, not to get on a soapbox here, I promise, but we live in a day and age <laughs> where it's so, it's so easy to depersonalize other human beings and not yep. see them as human beings. You know, I mean, here in the States, we see it happening, especially during election season, where, you know, oh, we look yeah. at, we, we see people looking at their fellow Americans as enemies and, and, and subhuman because of their beliefs and the way they, they vote. You know, so um, to a degree, that's part of that the military mindset, where a, a good soldier has to be able to depersonalize the enemy and see them as the enemy, not as a human being. And I think many serial killers, they have no empathy. They, they don't have this concept that, you know... Um, that what they're doing is, is is inflicting torment on a human being. Some of them just don't don't connect with that. Others really? enjoy the fact, yeah. But others will enjoy the fact that they are uh, inflicting suffering on a human being. So there's a diverse range, um, and there's a degree of psychopathy to some of them. And psychopathy is not a bad thing. I mean, if you look at some of the traits of a psychopath, there is a concept out there that you can have a good psychopath. Um, if you if you look at certain surgeons, certain CEOs, certain professions in which you have right. to make tough decisions under pressure, you know, being unencumbered by emotion and being able to make cold clinical decisions quickly is a great benefit. You know, mm-hmm. these are these are the people though that turn their power to good. Uh, if you have those same traits, but you aren't one of those professionals, you can turn your your powers to evil. And then there are some that have done both. So, for example. I'm often asked who is the most prolific serial killer in history. You know, if we add them all up, and of course, we we throw out the national stuff, right? We throw out the Stalins and people like that. But Harold Shipman in the UK, uh, a physician, a doctor, killed hundreds of patients, hundreds. Um, Never used a knife or a gun or anything of that nature. He gave them equivalent to morphine and diamorphone. Um, he enjoyed having this godlike power of life and death over people. So this was a beloved doctor that did a lot of good to some of his patients and murdered hundreds of others. 
That is so amazing. Is, do you think there's any truth in speaking of men like him? You think there's any truth to the fact that H.H. H. Holmes might have also been Jack the Ripper? Because there's that, always been that uh, that thinking. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I don't. Um, I looked at H.H. H. H. Holmes, either. and he is covered in the book. His, um, not to downplay it, but the number of murders H.H. H. Holmes committed is generally massively overplayed. Uh, you hear stories oh, okay. of the, the so-called murder castle that he had, um, that it was yep. uh, that hundreds of people died there. That's not remotely true. You're looking at a relative oh. handful now. Not that makes that, that's tragic, right? I don't mean to downplay that, but Holmes was sure. not nearly as um, as prolific a killer um, as as many others. And Holmes tended to kill because people became an inconvenience to him. People got between him and the lifestyle he wanted. He saw them as obstacles and made them disappear. So, in what way did they hold him back? Because nobody actually. I, th- I do believe I had heard that nobody ever checked into that hotel. <laughs> there was a hotel and nobody ever checked in. He just brought them there, I guess. Well, it was a multi-purpose building that had a pharmacy and it had residences and all kinds oh, of okay. uh, different... Oh, okay. Yeah, so the stories about the murder hotel, a lot of them originated with the press who were looking to sensationalize it, you know. But sure. um, Holmes was a con man. In fact, he, he was a grifter, you know. He, he was about the art of the scam. Um, and some of these scams, when they caught up with him, you know, people would catch him, would find him out, and he would remove those people as any businessman would remove uh, an obstacle. He saw people in that way uh, as something to be gotten rid of. He didn't kill because he enjoyed it. He killed because, you know, people stood between him and what he wanted. That makes sense. Now, I've seen this in I guess this, this is a movie fan uh, asking you this question, Richard. Mm-hmm. Is there an age, you know, this this evil twin or the young, is there an age where this might all begin or is it all over the map? It's all over the map. We, we, we talked, though, earlier, didn't we, about early signs and hurting right, animals. Right. Um, hurting animals, harming animals, the kind of kid that takes the fascination in, in inflicting pain on a living creature at a relatively young age. Um, is definitely a huge red flag. The signs do appear early in some. And uh, bedwetting, long past the time when uh, a child would be expected to stop bedwetting, is another sign, Mm -hmm. too. God, it's so amazing. Are are there people... This is an odd question, I guess, Richard, but are there people who... (laughs) That's true. It's an odd subject. Are there people who were able... maybe, Maybe they were the perfect model for a serial killer, but they were able to overcome the emotion or the thinking or the process. Do, can people get beyond this, or are they just doomed to do it? That's a great question, and, and again, difficult to say for sure. Um, I think we mm-hmm. all, if we're going to be brutally honest, we've all felt that urge that you, could, you were so angry you could just kill somebody, <laughs> right? In the moment. Right. Um, but yep. we all, or almost all of us, have that level of impulse control where we go away, we calm down, um, and, 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 you know, rationality comes back. Um, I do think there are some people that skirt much closer to that edge than others. But the true serial killers are acting upon this, this compulsion, and uh, some of them feel as though they're protected by a higher power. I mean, one that's been in the news headlines quite a bit recently is Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. Right, um, right. You know, who terrorized California during the uh, mid-'80s. He, he truly believed that um, he was invincible because Satan was protecting him. He believed oh, no God. harm could come to him. So he, 
he would walk into, in one case, walked into somebody's garage as they were parking their car, shot her in the face, walked into the house, shot her roommate, and left, um, 100% convinced that he could not be caught because he was the devil's chosen. You know, so some of them that believe amazing. that this, this dark higher power would protect them also. And, uh, I guess I guess Satan took a day off uh, when Richie Ramirez was beaten <laughs> by a, an angry mob of people in Los Angeles. Right when he was finally caught. Yeah, he stayed, I believe, at the Cecil Hotel, that, that notorious or maybe infamous <laughs> Cecil Hotel in, in, he did, in, in Los fact, Angeles. I have a book uh, coming out about the Cecil next month called American Hotel oh. Story. Um, oh, you got to come back, the, Richard. Happy to. And I delved into the, the history of the Cecil and some of the stories about that location. Uh, he was one of just two serial killers that stayed there, the other being Johannes Untuenga. Um, mm-hmm. Who nobody talks about. But he, but he did the, the he was was he Austrian? Was it what was he? Uh, yeah, he was, and uh, he he's had Austrian, killed yeah. um, a number of sex workers um, in his native country, and then he came to the U.S. because a magazine offered to to pay his way so he could write about crime in Los Angeles, uh, and he thought this was a fantastic idea came over to the U.S., ingratiated himself with the LAPD, who actually took him on ride-alongs to meet some of the city's sex workers, who he then started to murder. Oh, God. Yeah, he had a plan. He, he actually, on his way to America, to Los Angeles, had a big plan on what he was going to do, didn't he? Well, you know, there are those that will tell you that he chose the Cecil as a homage to Richard Ramirez's connection. There's no evidence for oh, that okay. at all. But Unterwenger right. had killed... He'd gone to jail as a young man for, for a single murder, and his M.O. was that he liked to strangle his victims to death with their own bra straps, uh, with a very specific oh. knot that he would tie. So he, once he uh, did his sentence to jail, 15 years, I believe it was, he started to write, and he wrote this very tragic story of his, his childhood, and he became this well-regarded um, literary figure. Uh, his book was very well-reviewed. There was this national petition to get him released early which thankfully the prime minister said no but when he was released he became a celebrity and you know he talked about how his, his terrible upbringing had done this his american father who was a gi um was to blame for this and the fact that he'd hung around with prostitutes as a young boy um and and it was a lot of garbage quite frankly he made a lot of it up to generate sympathy right. but once he was out he was the darling of the media and no one suspected that he'd gone right back to killing that is unbelievable. Is that part of it? The people, I mean, I'm not, I'm not laying the blame on society here, but uh, do criminals get too much of a pass in a lot of areas? I mean, like, oh, we don't believe that about, I know he murdered somebody, but he's a good guy. Why do people feel that way? It's, it's odd. You know, I think a lot of it is the, the terrifying phenomenon of the rock star serial killer. And yet, I, I wrote this book because I was fascinated by the concept. And when you start delving into it, you know, Richard Ramirez had groupies that would show up in the courtroom to support him. We all have read about the marriage proposals that these these monsters get when they're in jail. Mm -hmm. And some of them accept, don't they? You know, so there's something very attractive to a certain person about a serial killer. Um, And it might simply be that they they flout the rules of our society. You know, we all know what's decent. We all do our best to live by those a basic code of morality. Serial killers are beyond it. They just don't care. And I think some people have, have a fantasy life where they find that very attractive. 
why are shows like Dexter so popular? You know, why, why when you log on to Netflix just to pick a channel, oh, there's so many serial killer documentaries. Um, and I think it, people find it fascinating that they could be living next door to one, you know? Um, mm -hmm. They hide in plain sight. They look just like the rest of us. So people find that fascinating and a little bit chilling. And I also think there's a degree of catharsis where, you know, it's, it's kind of like going on a scary ride at an amusement park, isn't it? You get that element of danger and that look at the macabre and the horrific from, from your own safe perspective. What an amazing story. Andy, you have to ask him about the anime killer in Japan. Anime killer? Yep, yeah, Japan's that was anime of, one killer. Of the, uh, one of the little-known uh, killers that I wanted to put in, because the, the truth is you can't really write a, a big book and it's with 150,000 words. You can't write something like that without talking about Gacy and Dharma. But there's an expectation. But there are also these killers that, that most of us have never heard of, and this, this man was called Tsutomo Miyazaki, um, was called the anime killer because he was very, very, um, a huge collector of anime and materials like that. And he was one of the worst, I think, because he targeted almost exclusively young girls, children, um, and would, would call the families after they disappeared and, and would taunt them, uh, or would, would just stay on the end of the phone and not speak and made the families of these poor victims' uh, lives miserable. Um, awful, awful, awful man. And, and the Japanese sent him to the, to the scaffold on June the 17th, 2008. Um, terrible. And yet we've never heard of him in the West. Um, no. You know, the, the Rostov Ripper is another one. Andrei Chikatilo, um, one of Russia's most prolific serial killers. So they, they are definitely out there, as you said earlier. You see them across pretty much the entire industrialized well. Oh, no question. You brought up uh, Satomu Miyazaki. Uh, you brought up Andre Chikil. You got uh, the giggling granny, Nanny Doss. Mm -hmm. What's that all about? What's that? Yeah, I mean, I, I alluded earlier to a serial killer that um, hit their head on, in a train accident and then started right, to right. That was actually Nanny Doss. And this, this was a woman whose husbands and grandchildren started to die under mysterious circumstances. Uh, she was a poisoner by profession. She, uh, it, it generally tends to be true that male serial killers tend to be more overtly violent. Female serial killers tend to be, um, not always, but often, uh, in the realm of the poisoner, the strangler, things of that nature. You know, things that, that require less physical strength in some cases. And uh, she was a woman who murdered her way through multiple husbands and one grandchild before she was um, caught. Yeah, it's so amazing, Richard. We only have about uh, a minute or two left, but I gotta, lest everyone thinks we've talked about every serial killer, just this paragraph. Along the way, we'll meet the dating game killer, the Milwaukee cannibal, and the acid bath murderer. Holy Hannah. Whew. That's some bad people right there, Richard. And, and I'll tell you, just to finish, but it was a challenge deciding who was going into this book and who wasn't, because you sure. could probably write 10 books like this. You know, there are so many, and I was providing a cross-section uh, was my goal, and I was just trying to provide some analysis of, of their commonalities and their differences. But this is a far more common phenomenon, I think, than most people realize. No question about it. Serial Killers, The Minds, Methods, and Mayhem of History's Most Notorious Murders, available on Amazon and everywhere. Richard Estep, E-S-T-E-P.
the spelling of the author's name. Richard, when you get done with the Cecil Hotel book, yeah, I'd love to have you back on. And we could talk more about uh, Serial Killers as well, the uh, current book. Sounds like a plan. Let's do that. Thank, Thank you. you, Richard. Thank you, Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely, you. sir. Uh, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, now, you guys, you younger people in there, what do you think of this whole situation? Because I, John Wayne Gacy came along, but the first one was, uh, what was that Hunyuk's name over in, oh, G- Ed Gein, Ed Gein. Yeah, Ed Gein. Mm-hmm. I guess his name was actually Ed Gein, but everybody said to pronounce it Ed Gein, so it became Ed Gein. A guy who used to kill women and then, you know, do things like make lampshades out of their skin. You know. Yeah. Mama's boy, all the way, by the way. He was an absolute mama's boy, no question about that. And she would constantly tell him, Ed, you are a filthy sinner. He goes, Mom, I don't do anything wrong. Well, you're still a filthy sinner. It was one of those well, How deals. was that a mama's boy? Yeah, really. like his mom was well, I know. Some, yeah, mom, mommy issues. Yeah. <laughs> he had some mommy issues, no doubt. Well, that's like, it's, yeah, the, you know, you think of Ted Bundy, who yep. was, you know, I think he's probably the most researched and mm-hmm. focused oh, on absolutely. serial killer and he because yep. he had this like relationship with this woman and he took care of a child and they had no idea and he murdered so many people so it's like and even at the end of his life when he was in prison and all that stuff he was like oh i murdered five people i murdered three thousand people i murdered like he just never actually admitted anything specific it seems mm-hmm. and i don't know i just think it's so because you think somebody that effing nuts would just be effing nuts all the time <laughs> but he right. wasn't no. he just was like a normal nope. person seemingly and then was effing nuts i don't know it's that's why yeah. it's probably so fascinating i guess you know, after is. talking to Richard, though, I have to, I might have to go make an appointment because <laughs> what he was talking about, I was definitely a mama's boy. My mother thought I was the biggest deal ever from the time I was born. The biggest deal ever. Um, I did get hit in the head and caused damage to my skull. I think you're good. I, I think did... if you make it into your 60s without yeah, hurting really. anyone, right. I think you're sad. I hope so. I don't yeah. know if there's ever been but, a serial killer who started when they were 70. Yeah, it's usually like, you know, kids like, oh, I... No, Tom, don't let them hold you back from your dreams. (laughs) (laughs) You do. You know, the weird part, the weird part of that is, and I never even thought about this, because I didn't know about it until I talked to some, you know, professionals about it, but since I got hit in the head with that bat, I didn't know I was different in that I don't feel pain like most people do. Like I've had surgery without any anesthetic. I think you can that, ask Ralph Basham. I don't know if that has anything to do with that bat, though, because I have that same thing. Well, you do, too? Yeah, I mean, I okay, gave it, birth to two kids with no pain in a bathtub, so, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's that is absolutely terrible. true. <laughs> Seriously, and, I like I have pictures of like when I was giving birth and I was like laughing and just like shooting the shit no, and no, I stubbed mm-hmm. my toe and I have <laughs> a mess. Yeah, I'm well, the, all the way. The thing is, is like I like stubbing my toe. It's like oh my god, that hurt or like mm-hmm. moderate things. I still feel pain normally, but then when it's like most people would be like freaking yeah. the f out. Like right. when I broke my arm, right. I was nine years old, and I just walked up to my mom and I was like, "I think I broke my arm," and no. she's like, "You'd be crying if you broke your arm." <laughs> I was like, "No, I jumped off a playset and it like went the other way." And then she looked at it and she was like, "Holy God!" 
I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Do you think, Andy, the fact that I that I don't feel pain at a level a lot of people do could it develop this whole lower level of fear? I just, I don't, I'm not as afraid of things as other people are. I'm just, there are things I'm afraid of, but not at the level other people are. They get terrified. Like COVID, I'm not afraid of COVID at all. Now, I will tell you, this is a, a fact. If I get COVID and die, then I'll get it and die. If I don't, I don't. I am not afraid of dying from COVID. I don't well, care. I think that that's more of a coping mechanism thing because the same thing for me i'm like the stress of worrying about getting a Mm -hmm. virus at every encounter anytime i go anywhere to me sounds worse than Mm -hmm. getting sick because the the reaction is worse than the virus itself because and it's like every time you get in a car are you like freaking out that you're gonna die in a car accident Mm -hmm. no you know it's just i think that that's a pretty normal thing to think about because yeah, and know. especially like now when it's been so long, it's like, well, if I haven't got it and died from COVID already, yeah, I'm probably in the clear. That is yeah, true. Maybe we'll see. Probably Probably okay. Yeah, we got to take a break here because your mom just snuck up beside behind me with a plastic bag or put over my head, so oh, I got to fight back. That didn't happen really. Again. <laughs> Again, we'll be back with hour two, and of course, hour two on Mondays means the final segment of the hour with Kostaki Economopolis, but we'll be right back in just a couple of minutes with the family.